wonderful wonderful thursday night where we're going to welcome back a special guest or welcome a special guest that we haven't had on uh forever but we have been chasing this trying to get this interview for some time thank god for devs i'm your host dj super excited and here joining me is the co-creator the co-conspirator the executive producer and technical director of this joint my brother money nathan hey what's going on everybody happy thursday also happy new year first show of 2024 really excited to do this one i've been looking forward to it all day and it's been a slog of a day for me so i'm really glad to be here good to see y'all totally totally and like i said uh, earlier this uh, would not have happened without our uh our our uh center of of the cab universe uh our counselor um our researcher and our paragon of virtue uh a study of uap debs what's up homegirl thank you so much for hooking this up debs I don't feel like I deserve any credit, but I appreciate that. <laughs> I just want to say hello and happy new year, everybody. I hope that we have a wonderful 2024. I'm excited. You do deserve it. We love you, Debs. Um, you know, but before we get to uh, the guest of honor, uh, we'd like to uh, promo one of our homies on Calling All Beings. Uh, and that is, of course, our homie Vinny Adams, the host of Disclosure Team. Uh, this man has a lot of followers. You may have seen him uh, on the uh, that symposium that was in France. It was done in both English and French. Uh, he has traveled internationally as an MC and a speaker, and he's just his profile is just growing and growing, and growing in the community. Nathan, Vinny is fantastic. If you haven't caught his show, uh, head on over to that on YouTube. Uh, you can also find him on X at Disclosure Team underscore or Instagram at Disclosure underscore Team. Vinny's cranking out great work. He's uh, been in this space for a very long time, and I know he's got some really exciting shows lined up for 2024. Um, Debs, I mean, why don't I say like, like Vinny uh, is is able? To, he's sort of an insider where he has access to a lot of insider sources. He talks to people on both sides of the pond. He can be like, Lou, it's Vinny. What's up, man? What's the latest? Like, you know, he really does bring a lot. Plus, he's a kind of a researcher like yourself. Yes, and he's got a very even keel approach to things that everyone appreciates. <laughs> he does, he does. He's definitely not a knucklehead like me. So go check out a Disclosure Team. You see him right there on X and Instagram where he started this whole thing. And, uh, of course, you can find uh, his YouTube, Vinny Adams. Uh, Nathan, our special guest, uh, not only uh, is a retired lieutenant commander from the Navy, FA-18 pilot, um, she is a scholar in residence at uh, the University of Colorado. Um, I, I read here on her bio, she's an alumnus of the uh, Illinois Math and Science Academy, received her BS in civil engineering from George Washington University, and graduates graduated from the DLI, where she learned to speak Dari and Farsi so she could uh, engage in some uh, engineering reconstruction duties and got uh, time on the ground over there in Afghanistan uh, with our partners over there. Uh, and I, I know it's something that touched her heart a lot and, uh, I wish I would have 
had that opportunity as well. That is awesome. Uh, she earned her MBA from uh, GW University. And then, you know what, Nathan, um, she was a little bit bored and decided, you know what, maybe I'll go to flight school for, you know, maybe the mo- one of the most complex aircraft in the entire United States inventory, <laughs> Navy or Air Force, and uh, became uh, an F-A-18 pilot. So without further ado, party people, put those together for Lieutenant Commander Retired. Miss Alex Dietrich! Can I get it? Amen! Amen! Welcome. Hi. How do you hear? Got you loud and clear, Alex. How are you? Good. I'm good. Glad to be here. It's good. It's good to have you. I hope we didn't shock you with that intro, but you know, that's how excited we are to have, and that's how excited the community loves you. Do you know this? I feel the love. I'm feeling it right now. It's happening. It's happening right now. Thank you. The community really does love you. I mean, they really and truly do. That's what that's what Julie said. Amen. But um, Alex, for for my first question, what, what do you miss most about flying? Oh man, the clouds. Really, just that bit. Just being up there, being sort of being VFR, but being able to see beautiful clouds. Yeah. Wow. I knew that you, that you really love clouds, but I was surprised by that that answer. It's a, it's a great answer. It's very peaceful once you level off an altitude and you pull the throttles back and it's kind of quiet, you know, that's neat. Awesome. Great answer. Um, Let me turn you over to, um, to the co-creator of this joint, my co-conspirator money, Nathan. Alex, it's great to have you with us. Um, Big fan of yours, as DJ said, I've been following you for a long time on the social space and, um, following along with your journey as well and you've done a lot of you know kind of testimony of your experience and you've been observing the ufo community almost like i look at your post it's almost like you're an ethnographer in some respects you're like you're curious about what people are doing and uh, how this sort of manifests out in the wild but recently at the end of 2023 you you posted to the effect of that you were kind of looking to make more of a commitment to get more engaged in the ufo topic in 2024 and i just wanted to know you know could you speak to that what's what's been the the change or you know what are you looking to do as as the year progresses here sure well you know this uh incident that pulled me into this uh topic happened almost 20 years ago now and i've never felt that it's defined me i've never identified as a ufo person and it wasn't until the 60 minutes piece came out in 2021 that uh, it really sort of exploded in in terms of taking up so much time and energy with interviews and uh, requests to talk about it. And um, because it wasn't a passion, because it wasn't something that I was sort of genuinely intrinsically interested in, uh, I just felt sort of bothered and, and annoyed and Um, drained by all of the attention and all of the uh, requests. And and, um, there there was a point last summer when I realized, or I had this moment of saying, you know, hey, Al, this isn't going to go away. (laughs) You will always and forever be associated with this. Uh, And so rather than fight it or rather than resist it, you might as well turn into it and lean into it and 
figure out a way to uh, find some, some, not just joy. I mean, I, I had found joy before in terms of this, you're right, this, this sort of being curious about the space. And um, I really enjoyed the, the humor and the art and the um, whatever that intro was, the energy there. <laughs> DJ, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, but I also kind of said, hey, I need to, I need to stop and, and listen uh, rather than dismissing all of these other parallel conversations that are having, that people are having in this space. Um, and I would kind of say, well, what does that have to do with me or what I saw? Um, and so, and so I'm listening. So 2024 is my year of, of listening. That's fantastic. Well, it's really great to have you with us. Um, really looking forward to this conversation. And then I know my uh, co-host here has an excellent question lined up for you. So Deb, go ahead and take it away. I'm so glad you mentioned 60 Minutes because I, one of my first questions would be if you could do it over again and you could add on some more information that you now know and more about organizations that you're now part of, which hasn't really been mentioned yet, um, what would you do <laughs> with 60 Minutes now? 60 minutes now. I, I'm not sure if I understand the question, uh, if, but I will tell you that when we did it, I was part of the reason I agreed to do it is because 60 minutes was such a reputable platform. You know, they had uh, not just the reputation of, of good journalism, but they had a whole team of producers doing research. Uh, for weeks, we were in contact with them, having hours of conversations. Um, you know, they were fact finding, we were giving them material and points of contact. And so I really felt confident that they were gonna do the story justice. I hadn't actually watched an episode of 60 Minutes since probably I was little and watched it with my grandparents. <laughs> so what? I didn't, I, yeah. So I had forgot the, the format. And so, you know, they did all of this research and they, they interviewed us uh, on the day of when David Fravor and I sat down for hours and they asked, you know, a whole list of questions that they hadn't provided to us uh, in advance. You know, it was all on the spot, but they asked the questions and then they went back and asked them again and sort of reworded them or just phrased them a different, a uh, little bit different. And so, um, you know, I, I, I felt that at the end of that, when, the, when they wrapped <laughs> and, and broke down all of their you know, big fuzzy microphones and cameras, I thought, man, okay, they've captured it, right? They're, they have the whole story. There's nothing left to tell. But all of those hours and hours and hours and hours, they distill down into like a 10 minute segment. <laughs> And so not that I'm looking for more airtime, but, you know, I, I was hoarse from, from talking so much. Um, but then, you know, the, the clip of it is 30 seconds and that just really didn't satisfy anybody when it actually aired. And then I was bombarded with all of these additional requests for, for interviews. Um, the, another note about 60 Minutes is that I showed up that day of filming with, uh, I brought my helmet bag full of material. I brought books and my uh, flight log and the everybody wants to see my contemporaneous notes, the notes that I took on November 
14, 2004, I brought those with me to the studio and I laid everything out. I had my dog tags. I had, um, you know, my boots. <laughs> and I thought that they might want to do some, uh, some shots, you know, still frames or, um, and it was funny because the producers looked at, oh, and I also brought patches for all of the crew. So VFA 41 um, patches and I gave it to the camera guy and the, the sound guy. And, um, and so I, I laid it all out on a table and I said, here, if, you know, if, if you're curious, this, these are the documents or the, the references that are, you know, things that I re was referring to in our phone calls. And the producer said, oh yeah, well, th that's not really our format. Like we don't really do that. <laughs> and so I said, okay, you know, I packed it all back up in the bag and um, they said, but we do need to get a shot of you walking outside, right? Let's, that is our format. So we went outside the building and just sort of walked up and down the block. And I felt really silly because we weren't actually talking about anything. It was just getting B-roll for their, um, you know, for, for how, how they, they build their segments. And, um, and then I, I packed up and I, moved across country. So all of that stuff went into a storage locker. Um, you know, everything when you move kind of gets jumbled up like a snow globe. Um, and then, you know, that summer, everybody was saying, where are the notes? Where are the notes? And I said, <laughs> I just had them. Uh, and you know, uh, so, so I don't know if that answers your question about what I would do differently or, or what 60 Minutes might want to do differently. I think that was an interesting backstory about what that was like for you, though, for sure. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Alex, just a, a little bit of a preamble before the question. I sort of have your friend and your skipper. And I'm, I know that, Dave, even though your friends will always be skipper to you, just like, you know, the guy I mentioned in my text, Troy, will always be, you know, a commander to me, even though he's my friend and we share phone calls and stuff. Um, but I had a UFO sighting as a kid at about 14 with another kid. And throughout my career, which was something like eight years of maintenance and 13 years of flying, I never would mention anything about my UFO sighting. And I was an MMA podcaster for years about the UFC. And it wasn't until I saw Dave on Joe Rogan's show and I told my MMA podcast uh, co-host that I was switched. I was so moved. I said, if Dave can talk about this and I didn't know you yet, you know, I wasn't aware of you yet. Um, I can talk about this and that was it. And then I, they said they did not want to do a UFO podcast. So I bid them farewell. And, uh, then I found Nathan and found Debs and started, I started initially just me, but then thankfully I found him. So I, I have you guys to thank because there are other, uh, military folks and, aviators that are talking about it because you are talking about it and Dave talked about it. So Thomas said, thanks when you talk to him. It really is emotional, you know, because I, I you know, I, I would not have done this. I don't think if it wasn't for someone that um, another aviator, you know, did this and said, yeah, I, yeah, we saw something and mm. so what, um, as far as things that you've heard, I, I know we could get into the conference, but I'm fascinated. We were so moved 
by the commentary of David Grush, uh, you know, who's, you know, in a way sort of a contemporary of yours. You're both officers, even though he wasn't a flyer and stuff. Did you, is there something particularly striking that he said to you that, that you found striking or jarring in any way, or that maybe confirmed something um, that, that you had suspected? So I haven't actually had a conversation with David Grush. Uh, I know that but the interview at this conference. Mm-hmm. He, right. So he gave the keynote uh, address at the end of the Seoul conference in Stanford, uh, which I attended, and, and he was uh, zooming in. Uh, so he was up on the screen, but I haven't actually had a chance to connect and, and have a conversation with him. Regarding like the Ross Coltart interview or his testimony with Dave and Ryan is more what I was thinking. Oh, the, the testimony last summer before mm-hmm. Congress. Yes. Um, so, so I actually would have liked to have two separate hearings or two separate testimonies because especially the way that they were physically positioned at the table. Uh, I thought that um, Ryan Graves and David Fraber were talking about aviation concerns, pilot safety. Um, you know, we have unidentified uh, things flying around in our airspace. Uh, that's that's national security concern. It's also a safety of flight issue. And then you had David Grush uh, raising concerns that are certainly uh, alarming and worth uh, investigating further. But I felt that it was... Uh, disjointed or disconnected in the way the conversation flowed and it didn't really allow um it i felt like the two we were mixing messages and and that was maybe confusing for the members and certainly for the audience that was trying to follow along okay so nothing that he said was particularly uh had a nothing that you had heard from him had a, a particular effect on you or that you found the most interesting I mean, everything he said was interesting, certainly. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think like a lot of people, uh, you know, I'm waiting to to hear more and see more evidence. And, um, you know, I I look to those members of Congress who uh, promised to follow through and and make sure that, especially we're running to ground the issues, the concerns about, um, you know, the the spending and and how we're allocating and uh, holding our contractors accountable for, uh, their activities. So, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard to know, uh, you know, how, how to react when, uh, there's such a, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's, <laughs> I di- it's I very difficult. <laughs> yeah. It really is. <laughs> okay. I had, to, I had to take a shot at it. I mean, it did, we were, uh, you know, we were speaking privately, Debs and myself and Nathan, and and there were very different aspects that affected each of us differently but it was nathan you know before you're going to ask alex a question but what what were what would you use to describe how you felt in those succeeding days after he came out and spoke with ross well yeah i mean it's uh i, th- I think a lot about this the stigma and you know, sort of as dj you were talking about the, the stigma that you felt kind of reporting and you know for dave to kind of sit there and and reveal the things that he has said and and like like you say alex I, i'm waiting to know more i want to know 
more about these allegations and the evidence that he supposedly provided to the inspector general. Uh, but it's a little bit jarring, uh, you know, for me to, to hear those things said out loud that have been a part of kind of the UFO lore or, uh, you know, entertainment even uh, for the last many decades. And so for him to sort of say some of those, those things in, in a public way and, and to have said that he's you know, brought that in, in testimony to, uh, you know, to officials, uh, that there's a kind of a weird like disconnect in the in the mind about in my mind about that, and you know that kind of feeds into some of my question for you, and that's you know how deep we are moving in terms of the the, the stigma and and reporting, and you know it seems like we've we've come a pretty good good ways there, but are you, you know, hearing that more folks are comfortable bringing their experiences forward. I know Ryan's done a lot of work in this space as well, but is that, you know, so your, your experience, are you hearing from colleagues and others that, that this is a little bit easier to talk about when people have had these kinds of experiences? I hope so. And, you know, certainly that's uh, the hope of uh, Americans for Safe Aerospace. That's the uh, organization uh, that you're referring to with Ryan Graves, um, an offshoot of the AIAA uh, organization. And so, Really, our hope is that by having these conversations, by by making it a matter of fact, um, you know, encouraging uh, scientific rigor, academic review, um, that we reduce the stigma and we make it mainstream. Um, you know, that when media is covering it, that they don't play the spooky music and uh, giggle at the beginning of segments. Um, so, yeah, and and that's part of my. Uh, motivation in doing this. You know, I, I feel uh, one, an obligation as a former military officer that if um, citizens are curious and concerned, you know, that I respond to that, but then also um, that by speaking about it, if, if people, I mean, it doesn't have to be pilots or air crew, it could be, um, you know, I took a train this summer uh, and the conductor uh, without me bringing up <laughs> anything about UIPs, he, he volunteered talking about it with some other passengers and I thought well yeah you know people on trains that are um is it the engineer that drives it or the uh conductor whoever it is right they're they're sober they're on duty they're looking outside um and they have a lot of opportunity to to witness things and not to suggest I think it'd be really irresponsible of me to suggest that that any or all of um, the unidentified things that we're seeing in the sky are, um, you know, from another place or, or non-human intelligence. But, um, you know, just like when you take the subway in New York City, there are big signs that say, you know, if you see a suspicious package, you know, or a bag left unattended, if you see something, say something. And so I think it makes sense to um, encourage a culture where that's normalized uh, you see something weird in the sky, and then also to enable reporting. Uh, so to have a channel, to have a, a mechanism where you can actually file that report and give a description, and then it makes it to uh, first responders or, or someone who can actually do something with the information. Right. Um, if I can ask a quick kind of tag along to that, um, I wondered what, your, what was your reaction at the beginning of 2023, where we had the you know, sort of the UAP flyovers over the United States. We had the Chinese spy balloon shot down, and we had these other objects that were encountered 
but we don't yeah. know a whole lot about them. So what, what was your sort of take on that? And have you heard anything from maybe air crew that were involved in some of those other encounters? Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was a, uh, a great opportunity for everyone who's advocating for, who's lobbying for systematic, methodical, serious UAP uh, infrastructure, you know, from, from reporting to investigating to analyzing, uh, I think all of us kind of said, see, <laughs> told you, <laughs> this is serious, you know, and, um, and and I thought that was a good opportunity to, to rally around, um, you know, the, the real sort of tangible, um, it was just trundling across <laughs> you know, the continental United States for days. Right. So, um, yeah, I thought that was a, a, a great example that the collective captured the collective um, attention and and forced everyone to have some real conversations about it. So, are, are you surprised um, we haven't seen more detail there? There was, I think, uh, an event that was over. Maybe it was the Black Sea. I can't recall, but there was, you know, a, an adversarial fighter had dumped some of their tanker fuel. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and there was there was a photo, you know, from the cockpit of uh, I guess from it was a maybe a drone, yeah. yeah, and and the, you know, very clear, crystal clear photo of that encounter, and yet we've seen no photos of these other you know UAP <laughs> that were engaged off the coast of Alaska or, or what have you. Is that surprising to you, or just kind of does it frustrate you in any way, particularly if we're talking about trying to get more transparency around this particular topic? No. It, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't surprise me. You know, part of part of the issue with uh, that sort of um, imagery or, or uh, you know, it's not necessarily that the images themselves are classified, uh, but the sources and methods of obtaining them might be classified. So um, just having operated in that environment for a long time with those systems, um, I'm not surprised that we don't have access to all of the information and I don't feel entitled to it. Uh, I'm retired now and I am just a you know a civilian living in jeans and flip-flops. Um, but I, I don't have that sense of urgency for you know quote unquote transparency mm. or disclosure, whatever that means. Um, but that's part of my 2024 resolution is to kind of understand why people are uh, crying for it, why they're demanding uh, it and what it means. What does it mean to you? What is what is transparency and disclosure? Like, yeah, what is well, the... it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, and it, it is everyone's going to give you a different answer to that. I think, um, I think at the very basic level, for what you're advocating for, let's get more information and more uh, eyes on whatever is in our airspace, so that we have more data about it, and we can be more candid with our personnel who happen to be in that, that space, but also you know, the American people or the, the people of the world about things that are in the air that, that you know, are encountered. I'm, I'm not naive in thinking they should tell us everything. I think that, that would be foolish and, and not helpful, you know, for national security reasons. I think just starting there would be great. Um, but, it, you know, it's such a complex problem because when you have an encounter like the one that you had where, you know, this anomalous uh, behavior is, is witnessed and you have an historical record that includes a lot of similar anomalous encounters, uh, experiences, there are a lot of things that begin sort of, at least from my perspective, 
coming into the possibility space. I'm not willing to weigh, you know, affirmatively on one or the other, but it does open up a lot of questions as to, you know, how far back does this go? What are the na nature of these experiences? How much information does the U.S. government actually have about objects light, light like this? It, all these things are on the table. And so I would like, I think just as a taxpaying public person, like to know, you know, more about what we know. I don't have any uh, delusions that we're going to hear the, the whole truth. I think that would be ridiculous, but I think they know a lot more than, than they're sharing. And I think it, it's, it's helpful to know more about, about that. So that that's a good, you know, from just a, a citizen, you know, to, to, to hear that someone who hasn't been involved in the national security apparatus, you know, that just, um, I feel, oh, actually we got to go to Deb. So De I don't want to cut you off Debs. Go ahead, ma'am. Yeah. I just, I think it's such a conundrum. So recently I was talking to DJ about, uh, someone who witnessed something on a base I won't go into details because some people are just going to raise their eyebrows. But over and over again, there are military encounters with these objects. And the conundrum is that they told the people who are supposed to protect us not to report. Right. So I guess my question is, um, with the organization that you're now working with, um, Americans for Safe Aerospace, are you seeing a pushback to try to help um, really make us safer? Because it's ridiculous that they would ever tell someone to be quiet about something they didn't know about flying in our skies, especially now when we have drones and all kinds of other things and these balloons and all these other things to be worried about. It boggles the mind that they would ever tell someone to be quiet about it. So um, are you seeing some success with your group? So I'm having a hard time following. Who is they in this in this example? Um, they, I, they have it's, them it's the um, Americans for Safe Aerospace seeing some success with getting past this quieting of military folks that's been happening for, for decades. So I don't I don't know about that. Um, you know, it it sounds a little conspiratorial. Um, I, I had a UAP encounter and I was never told to be quiet about it. It was never classified. We were never required to sign an NDA. Um, there were never men in black that came and took tapes or, you know, removed data or anything like that. So um, I haven't had that experience and I don't know of anybody else who has. Again, on my listening tour in 2024, uh, you know, if people want to share those uh, stories with me. I'm happy to listen um, and and be open-minded to hear more about it, but I have not witnessed um, or felt that pressure to be silent or, or be quiet um, and, and not talk about it. Yeah, uh, Ryan. You know, ASA, uh, Americans for Safe Airspace, is trying to... Um, Go ahead. No, I, I, there was a big Are delay. I didn't hear... it. it yeah, I think there was a little bit of freezing. It might have been me that was frozen, but are we good to go now? Everybody loud and clear? Yeah, sounds good. I'm, I'm clear okay. here. Um, so the, the Americans for Safe Aerospace uh, is is trying to advocate for, uh, you know, the reduction in stigma and the systematic uh, reporting uh, for, for primarily air crew and, and folks involved in the aerospace industry. Um, 
so so I, I really I haven't witnessed and I haven't heard in an official capacity about um, anyone being silenced or or pressured into you know keeping an encounter. Uh, secret. I, I can introduce you to some people on that if you need me to. <laughs> Unfortunately, I shouldn't it's laugh. It's not funny. But yes, it's definitely been an issue. I'm glad that you didn't have to go through that. I've, I've seen Ryan put some he's put out the stats and I just I didn't have that prepared for tonight. But Ryan has said he's hearing from a lot of aviators, both civil and military aviators. Ben Hansen is also hearing from a lot of military and civil aviators with their encounters. So that's a good thing though, Debs, that's, that's a good, a good sign. Uh, but I mean, if you went back to 1986, those JAL pilots that encountered that, those 747 pilots and encountered that, uh, UFO over Alaska, I mean, that guy was fired. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, um, it, I don't know. I, I guess, uh, I haven't heard of a lot of, military folks that have had encounters uh, because people just didn't talk about it. I will tell you uh, having just left an air base that I could have this conversation now in the squadron and not be laughed at. I was talking to some AC-130 gunship guys because I know, you know, the sensors they have on there are, are, are awesome. And so they, you know, they could, um, you know, have a, a, a visob there and they've, you know, they had no problem talking about it. They didn't laugh or giggle or say, get out of here or anything like that. So, and there also is now an AFSOC OI that deals with, um, I got, I got a report on that. What did I tell you guys about five months ago? There's an AFSOC OI about reporting UAPs and that never happened before. So we are making some progress. So obviously Matt Gates, you know, uh, we don't know what aircraft, but Matt Gates interviewed one of the crew members from um, Eglin that had that sighting over the Eglin range and showed him, um, I think they showed him some FMV and a snapshot, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if anybody knows, but um, so, you know, it's slow going, but it's happening. So, mm -hmm. uh, Alex, your, your resume is so impressive. Can you tell us about the steeplechase thing that I read on there? Is that, is that basically you're an equestrian? Is that what I'm to understand or no? So it's uh, track and field steeplechase. Oh, so tell, I don't, tell me. Okay. Uh, so there, I think there is a steeplechase for horses, um, but that's right. a different sport. Um, yeah, I ran track and field cross country uh, through high school and college. And um, after having my three kids have gone back uh, as a master's athlete, so master's track and field. And so that's where, I don't know if you've ever watched the local news and they say, oh, you know, this hundred-year-old man from Iowa ran the hundred-meter dash in forty-five seconds. You know, he's like going in slow motion, but he's going. Um, so, you know, they have all these different age groups, and so I, I enjoy doing the training for and competing in the steeplechase. And so that's where they have the hurdles around the track, the fixed barriers, and then the, the water barrier that you jump into. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. By the way, the, the time you described the 100, mere, uh, 100 year old man, that's about like what my 40 time is right now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, at 57, I'm such, I'm, I'm a consistent runner, but I'm such a slow runner. It's ridiculous. Um, but Just you know what I'm saying? Nathan, well, exactly. Being out there, you know, I'm, I, I kind of was thinking Nathan before the show was like, I'm sort of a jack of all trades. It's not really good at anything. 
And Alex is sort of like a jack of all trades. It's mastered a lot of different things. <laughs> Very impressive. Yes. It is, man. Your resume, I was thinking, so I kind of was going over jobs that I would nominate Alex for if I had the power. And this is sort of the short list I've come up with. Um, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, uh, <laughs> House Majority Leader. Senate Majority Leader. Um, <laughs> Secretary of uh, Defense. Secretary of State. Vice President. Even President. I mean, I think that's a reasonable list. Don't you, Money? Come on. Absolutely. Yeah, get my vote for sure. You have my vote, Alex, okay? No, I appreciate that. We could have a, a platform of more exercise and more academics. <laughs> so, like, uh, you must have been, like, an amazing student, yeah? To, like, were you, like, uh, did you get, like, really high GPAs in both your undergrad and your postgrad work? So, when I talk to my students and I advise them um, now and they – when they are in ROTC or, or at the Naval Academy wanting to fly, they come and they say, what's the secret sauce? You know, how do I, I want to go jets. I want to go aviation. And I tell them, I say, look, I'm not smarter than anybody. And I'm, um, you know, I didn't study harder than anybody else, but I slept more than anybody uh, in, in flight school. And, um, and in college, I think, again, because I was uh, running and, and I also rode um, crew, if you're familiar with that. Wow. So I was up early and I was, you know, putting in a lot of um, time on the erg and miles on the track. And so I was ex exhausted at uh, 8 p.m. and I would just crash and I would sleep for more than more than the recommended eight hours. You know, I'd get nine or 10 hours of sleep at night. Um, but we know from... You know, we don't know a lot about sleep, but we do know that that's when you um, crystallize the memories and um, process everything that you learned that day. So, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't really study for tests or, or things like that. I just stayed awake in class, absorbed it, and then slept and, and sort of downloaded it. Um, so, same thing in flight school. I would show up for events where you need reaction time. You need to remember checklists or systems and um it just came to me because i was awake and alert <laughs> i think a lot of my friends um especially the folks from the academy you know they kind of deprive them when they're there of freedom so when they hit flight school they go kind of go crazy and party a lot and show up hungover so um yeah that's what i attribute my success to being that i I agree with you a hundred percent about that. I, I don't know that I slept as well as you, but I do. I did. I do know that studying a lot was was I was uh, sort of a special ed student, so I felt I needed to study harder than the next guy, so that when I did show up for a one on one with my instructor or I had a flight that um, you know that I was really prepared, or especially like if you're doing a you know an EPE, you know before your check ride, you know all that stuff. So. Anyway, um, let's get some of, I, we only have about 20 minutes left with you. So I want to get to some of the questions in the chat and we'll do them like sort of in quick hitter fashion if we can. So, cause I know the cabbies have more as well. Uh, so this is coming from uh, Mick, our, our uh, friend from the UK. Um, what's that? <laughs> not that. Mick. Oh, not, no. <laughs> no, he's not that Mick. He's a, he's a, an experiencer. Mick, he uh, is one of those uh, people that is able to, 
he's a medium, if you will, for connecting with spirits and so forth. Um, Hey, Alex, you had a chance to have contact with uh, alleged entities. Would you take it if you had that chance, offered the chance to be have in-person contact with an entity? Um, I, I mean, my initial reaction is to say yes, um, but also I don't know. I don't know what that means. And I don't know what exactly what we're talking about. So, okay. um, you know, if, if we are talking about some extraterrestrial or non-human intelligence, you know, I have all sorts of questions about safety and um, you know, consequences and, and everything else. So um, the curious Alex is, is like, yeah, you know, let, let's do it. Uh, but then the conscientious Alex is saying, well, what does that mean? And, and what, 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 <laughs> what's involved exactly let me frame it i can frame it this way so we do we did have a, a air force osi officer named rick Doty. that's a friend of ours he had said that there was a being that they got out of the roswell crash and they assigned an air force linguist someone who had been to dli like yourself to be his handler um mm. and until it 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 or he or she uh would it died a few years later. Uh, then David Grush said that biologics were recovered. He did not uh, characterize whether it, they were dead or alive or whatever, but at least that's a couple of sources. And then there's, there's a couple more sources on that. So if the, in that controlled environment where uh, it would, you know, it was basically, you know, in the control <laughs> under the control of the U S military and you could have an interview room with, with them. So I'm assuming you'd say yes. <laughs> so. Yes. Okay, I figured you would, because based on the beginning of your answer. Uh, so this is from Carolina Garcia. This is Vinny Adams' uh, girlfriend slash fiance. She says, my five-year-old is asking, do you think it was a spaceship from another planet, uh, meaning what you encountered from her five-year-old? Yeah, well, we don't know what we saw that day. Um, I'm wondering what the five-year-old's name is. Um, hi, my little one. Hey, Carol, um, what's your What's your son or daughter's thing? I hadn't, I did get to meet Carolina a couple weeks ago, but I hadn't met her yeah. kids. So, uh, so you know, I, I, I don't know, and I, it would be irresponsible of me to, to speculate. So we don't know whether it was, um, you know, an, an adversary. We don't know if it was uh, a billionaire messing around with some uh, tech. We don't know. And so, um, again, the part of why I'm here and talking and encouraging folks, uh, if you see something to say something, to report it. Um, and, and to use, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a military aviator and have, uh, or have a, a pilot's license and, and go to something like ASA, Americans for Safe Aerospace. Um, I'm an advisor to Enigma Labs. And so they are uh, trying to create a platform and app that anybody can download onto their phone and we can crowdsource. Um, so not just that you could report your own sighting, but also you can sign up to get notifications. Normally I say no to all the push notifications on apps. Um, but on this one, I get notified if a neighbor or somebody in my vicinity has a sighting. And so it goes ding and I go, oh, let me look up. Let me go outside um, and see if I can see and, and maybe capture. Maybe I have a better camera or binoculars or night vision goggles or FLIR or something else that um, we can get different angles and 
corroborate the report um, and build this, you know, through a hive mind, this collective intelligence that's open source, right? That doesn't, it's none of that is classified or requires, um, you know, release authorization uh, from the DOD or others. So um, I don't know what we saw on <laughs> November yeah. 14, That's 2004, um, but, but be curious and keep looking up. Yeah, I, I had I had a tangential question, so I might as well get it in real quick before we give get Julie's question in here, our chat moderator. Um, as as an aviator, when at first glance, your first visual observation, what did it feel like? To because I've never like I told you I had a sighting when I was a kid walking on a ranch, but I've never had like as an aviator, never like you know where you're trained and especially fighter pilots, you guys your eyeballs are trained to identify things in the air more so than other aircraft, you know, other aircraft communities. So what was the feeling that you had when you first looked at it? Oh, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. It was just confusion because it didn't fit any of our mental models. It wasn't, you know, we practice wrecking, we practice looking at similar and dissimilar aircraft and, uh, you know, we'd seen balloons and buoys and all sorts of things, but it, it didn't, it didn't fit. Interesting. Yeah. That's what, that's what I thought you were going to say. And I, but yeah, I just like to hear it from uh, somebody that was there. Okay. That's my last question about that. Okay. Julie, have you experienced any further anomalous activity in your lifetime before or after your famous sighting ghosts? uh psi activity etc have you ever had any other experiences like that i went on a ghost tour this summer um which was fun it was in block island um and uh and it was fun to to hear the the stories and, and they had little like a thermometer and a couple of different devices that they gave us um but i don't think we actually uh encountered anything um no, I mean, I, I, I haven't really, like I said, I haven't been open to um, these other parallel conversations that kind of get tossed in. And, and I've always been um, resistant because I said, well, what does that have to do with seeing something unidentified off the coast of Southern California? Um, like, what does the ghost conversation have to do with it? Um, and so I, I'm not dismissing it now. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why they're mentioned in the same conversation or in the same space. Maybe you can help me. Nathan, why. why are they mentioned this? Nathan, why are they yeah. mentioned in the I mean, same I'll, I'll conversation? I can. It's, uh, there's, it gets to some of the complexity that Deb was talking about in the history of this, of this particular topic and, and people who've experienced or, or claim to have experienced uh, encounters with, objects like this and and sometimes the occupants of objects like this and some of those encounters involve uh what people would call like a, a mental experience like uh, either you know telepathy or after having that experience they have some sort of enhanced cognitive uh, ability like they maybe some maybe precognition uh or telekinesis i mean again these are things that are just reported i like you, I need more evidence to see the, the veracity of that. But this is just a part of the literature and the body of um, 
you know, experienced literature around this particular topic. And so that then ventures into conversations about really what we are as, as human beings, what consciousness is, uh, you know, as we all know, we experience reality through our, our senses. Uh, there's a lot happening in reality that is outside of our scope of perception. And so when you have encounters, uh, reported encounters, like, like what I just described, or even parallel encounters with ghosts in particular, like um, I know you probably heard the name of Whitley Strieber, but you know he had an encounter where he claimed to have seen an entity, but also seen uh, you know ghosts of the deceased basically at the same time. And so it, it calls into question kind of what's really going on there. And you know, famous researchers like Jacques Vallée have have also studied this as well. And that it just opens up a whole host of questions. What is really happening here? What is the root of the experience? What is what is reality or how much of it can we actually interface with? And so I think that that's probably where some of the, these questions come from. It's individuals looking for an overarching uh, sort of meta explanation for uh, anomalous experience that that have been reported throughout history from the human family. And, you know, it may not be one single thing, right? It may be a variety of things. Uh, you know, it's, it's tempting to lump everything into one bucket, but that may be, uh, you know, just a, an incorrect assumption, right? So, but that, that's sort of where some of that, that is coming from. Thank you for that. And I will say that um, the, at the, com the conferences in Stanford and in um, New York in December, um, I, I was exposed to, but I wasn't quite following. And I have a lot of follow-up reading that I need to do. Um, I'm, and I think what you're talking about, this, this consciousness and, um, and at Seoul, at Stanford, uh, there was a presenter, Dr. Aya Whiteley, mm -hmm. uh, who, um, you know, is, is, a, is a... She's like a flight doc, but for NASA. Flight doc. Right yeah. for NASA for for these yep. um, astronauts and and aviators, and she did in the course of her presentation catch my attention when she referred to the ghost in the cockpit, uh, which I had never heard it referred to as that before. But when she described it, and, you know, as, as she built up to it, and I said, "Oh yeah, I know exactly what that is," um, and it is referring to this flow that we get into when we have checklists and um, a real um, intimacy with, you know, all of our switches and dials and knobs and everything. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's this merging of, of the tech with, with the, um, with the senses. And, and, um, so, so that spoke to me and, and I look forward to following up and reading more of her work. Um, so in that case, I have seen a ghost, the ghost in the cockpit. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, all of us have an experience that's similar to that, at least when we, when you talk about flow state, I hope that everybody has experienced flow state in some form or fashion, whether they're, you know, in, they're exercising and, and ideas kind of happen or their creativity gets going or uh, they're, you know, they're working or whatever it may be. Flow state is a, I think, an, a great feeling to have when things are really clicking. Um, I think people have also experienced a lot of similar things that we would call you know, bizarre. Um, a great, the best example I can give of this is something a lot of people have experienced where you're, you're thinking of that person 
you haven't talked to them in, in months or years and you get a phone call from them like m moments after that. And a lot of people have reported that happening and it's, you know, it's bizarre. Could it be entirely coincidental? Absolutely. But it's just an example of, uh, you know, a non-normal experience, abnormal experience that, that seems to happen with at least some degree of regularity in, you know, in the human experience of life. And so it, it calls into question I think what's really happening in, in, in lived experience, and there are a lot of people who are trying to study that, tap into that, and question some of the models that we have around how reality actually functions. Um, our operating model now is primarily one of materialism, that you know, tiny little objects essentially stack up into larger objects, and then eventually you get consciousness that just emerges from this conglomeration of neuronal activity in the brain. Well, that may be an incorrect assumption. Maybe consciousness is actually at the root level of reality and matter actually stacks up off of that. And if that's true, it changes a lot of the way in which we look at experience, particularly when it comes to anomalous experience like, like we've talked about on the show. See why we hired him? <laughs> Free of charge, yeah. I love it. Uh, man, they, they really are... Um, the communities really will, really try, will to, try to be distinct from one another. Um, the Bigfoot, you know, up where you're at Colorado, there's some pretty prodigious uh, Bigfoot researchers up there, and they will. There are some encounters that are very, very flesh and blood, but there are also some things that Bigfoots will do that are out of step with what we know in terms of you know, mind speak, projecting fear, infrasound and projecting fear into somebody to get them to turn around and walk away. There's certain things, uh, but these communities don't, a lot of things are about identification. You said earlier, you said, I'm not a UFO person. I don't identify, I don't identify as a UFO person. I'm just analyzing something that's happening that, you know, has, you know, made itself present in in our reality you know uh, ryan had sighting, sightings you and dave had sightings airline pilots have had sightings i had a sighting and then we've talked to people that have had like jim semivan who's a retired cia cia uh counterintelligence uh officer and said that he had an encounter in his bedroom with his wife there you know what <laughs> i have to take that very seriously and and say that uh someone like jim semivan is not given to making things up and there's many others on top of that. So, but I don't consider myself a UFO person or that I need to be in that box uh, or unnecessarily a, a, a Bigfoot person or I just somebody who is interested in some of these, uh, what our, our friend Matt says, uh, the unexplained. So anyway, there's my, there's my $2 contextualization for you. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm not sure we get back to, to Deb and yeah, Deb, yeah, we got five minutes at the end of the hour here. Yep. Yeah, I, ahead, I just wanted to say um, to all of that that ultimately, you know, we don't even know about our own bodies. Like, like I was thinking about how many specialists we need just to understand our own bodies, the bodies that we move around in every day, right? So the the subject is more about us trying to figure ourselves out. And where we are in this great big universe, um, 
sometimes than it is about anything else, which is intriguing. And it leads to my question, which you kind of touched on this a little bit, but there are a lot of rabbit holes in this topic, a lot of things you could go down and try to learn about. What are you most interested in learning more about? That's a good question. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. So I need I need to learn more about the history. So uh, the they there are cases and encounters and and people that you're referring to. And I just if I look like a blank uh, slate, it's because I have no idea what you're talking about. And you know I'm not trying to be aloof or or snobby. I just I don't know. Um, you know I didn't I thought, thought that Foo Fighters was just a band. I didn't know <laughs> until recently that that was, was a, a World War II um, UFO, UAP thing. So, you know, I, I need to um, wade through all of that um, and also, you know, figure out what is legitimate and what is uh, bogus. Um, I, I do really appreciate it. I saw there was a comment here in, in the chat about McQuest. You know, I, I, I appreciate him and I appreciate uh, folks like him who are, um, you know, creating that tension and, and asking the, the hard questions. I, I really enjoyed his book um, about rabbit holes, right? Escaping the rabbit hole. Uh, and I'd recommend it to folks. So, you know, having a balanced approach to investigating the history while also encouraging and supporting this initiative um, through ASA, through Enigma, through other lines of effort to uh, capture the future encounters in, in a way that we have evidence and that it's documented in a, in, in a repository that's, um, you know, uh, less controversial or less politicized than any of the previous um, attempts, attempts at it. So um, in terms of specific subjects, I mean, I'm, I really am interested in this phenomenon behind the phenomenon, uh, if I can say that. So, you know, how many of these podcasts are there? <laughs> like how many people um, have either made this, you know, their job or their, their hobby? Um, how many books are there? How many conferences? How many um, conversations are, are being had about this? And it's, it's, you know, the psychology of it and the, um, the economy of it and just, you know, what's happening here regardless of, of the facts of, of, of what we're seeing. So that's interesting to me. What else is interesting? Um, hmm. Well, I, I mean, I'm waiting to hear more from David Grush. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and just a quick point. Or, about, or down know, that thread, I guess you could say. Oh, 100%. And, and to your point about the, uh, the effects of the phenomena kind of on people, you know, if you haven't already, and I'm sure you, you're familiar with her, at least uh, Dr. Diana Pasolka has spent a lot of time looking at that from a religious studies perspective. So analyzing, you know, what, communities are doing, what people are doing in response to some of these experiences, what does that look like? Analyzing that from 
uh, the perspective of religious studies. Uh, it kind of has some, you know, tangential connection to what you're talking about there. Her in in her second book, she even mentions Dr. E. O. Whiteley. So that would be a, you know, maybe a good place to start. Yeah, there's like a chapter on her, pretty much, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Talking about um, the, some of the stuff we've heard uh, that. I don't know if it was one of the Apollo or one of the Gemini astronauts that they were hearing a certain type of music um, that made its way into the cockpit when they were in orbit that should not have been there. Is that right, Debs? Do I, do I have that right? Uh, yes, there was sounds that they were hearing in space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that sounded musical in nature. Uh, there's... I, there's a good number of UAP sightings as well that uh, hasn't uh, been officially acknowledged that those guys had in, in flight. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a fascinating uh, topic. There's so much to dive into. It's not, it is a hobby for us. It's not a job. There are people that are making a living doing this um, that are, uh, have monetized from day one, which we haven't, we haven't done. Uh, but um, it just, the conversations that we've been able to have is what we were sort of dreaming about when we started this. And lo and behold, you know, we got to have Lou and we got to have Jim and, you know, yourself and I don't know, Chris Lato. And I don't, how many people we had, we had all the PhDs from Dr. Pasolklo, Dr. Kripal and, and on and on and on. So uh, that's sort of been the pay that uh, we've received for doing this as far as mick is concerned as far as mick um the reason that i don't publicize him on air is not because he's a skeptic because i don't think he's a skeptic i think he's a debunker i think he takes a dishonest approach having looked at a lot of his uh his commentary and um i really don't care what he says so that's why i don't talk about him on air it's not that i don't think that skepticism is very much valued and needed i just don't think he is that i think he's very dishonest in the way he goes about it and some of the things that i heard him say about your colleagues and their operation of their systems um unless you're a flight examiner in fa18 i uh, shouldn't i wouldn't be making that commentary myself and uh nor would any of my colleagues so that's why i don't talk about him on air I don't really care what he thinks. <laughs> I consider him um, a friend. Awesome. You know, that's cool. I mean, we can, we don't all need to agree on everything, do we? So, um, but with that said, um, Alex, uh, I know everybody here uh, really uh, admires you. And I mean, everybody in the audience here, uh, we, we didn't want to keep you past uh, nine o'clock, but is there um, a place, uh, um, this, there's another question about Tic Tac. I, I, we, we didn't want to do a Tic Tac episode here because we know you've been asked about it a lot. It's up to you if you want to field that question or not. Um, there you go. UFO intros. How you doing? Did Tic Tac take off at great speed or did it literally vanish? Alex had a wider, higher vantage point and the language used it vanished makes it a little confusing. So can you clarify the nature of its X, its uh, X fill from the, uh, the area? It vanished. Okay. So it wasn't just. Yeah. Just vanished. Okay. It wasn't like you physically saw it zip by the windscreen at high speed. It just vanished. 
Okay. That is an awesome question. Thank you. I actually had that question myself, but I know you've been asked so much about that particular event that we didn't want to uh, make this a tic-tac episode, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So, so, but like, what is, what's, tell me what that means to people. Like, why is that such a, a point of curiosity? Like, what is, what uh, is I the... Think well, from my own vantage point, I'm thinking um, if I'm seeing the object, did did you visually see the object accelerate and and zip again, like like I said, zip by your windscreen at a very very high rate of speed, or did it just vanish? Because that kind of leads you into that it can appear and disappear. So it's a another capability that makes it in a way even more fantastic that if it was just using a form of propulsion to accelerate at high speed but visually so rather than just disapparate you know what i mean and just reappear at that at your cap point mm -hmm. yeah so i mean we can sit here and try to rehash all of the technical details you know 19 years after the fact um but I don't think that we're ever going to figure out what it is that we saw in 2004 and kind of to circle back and, and get to my, my foot stomping underlying point here is that we have to do better about uh, listening to air crew in the moment uh, or witnesses in the moment and mobilizing um, all of our hardware and sensors uh, that we can bring to bear and then collecting that information in the moment, right? Not 19 years after the fact, trying to do a debrief um, in this way. And so if we can learn from this and say, hey, there, we have all these really great technical questions. Um, you know, one of my favorite, I always get asked, um, did you see a shadow? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't looking for a shadow in the moment. Um, but but let's, let's do a better job with the checklist, with the template, uh, so that we can have operators with that in mind as they're having an encounter, right? They can have the list of 20 or 50 questions and then in minutes or hours after the fact, not 19 years later, go through systematically and ask all of these questions in a way that um, collects it in a standard format, can be ingested and then uh, again, compiled and analyzed uh, with our with our AI and machine learning and, and all of that. So we'll put it all in chat GPT and get it all figured out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Hopefully they have that now. I'm sure I, I'm, I'm hoping that Intel has these standard template formats to to ask these questions, just like they would ask you about any any uh, any threat or anything that that you encounter in debrief. So I'm assuming that they that they have that. And I, I don't think that's a bad assumption. OSAP did. What's that? They have it. They have it, Debs. OSAP did that. They created a giant database and they did it so that they could search for things and look for patterns and things like that with all of the data combined that they had from multiple organizations, including MUFON. That that that's uh, that that definitely is a step forward. Definitely, we, we just need to know all of the. You know, ho hopefully, you know, we'll find out eventually. You know that there's been data collected from all these sources, and sort of like it won't be nine eleven where they're they're siloed, but they'll sort of bring it together. I think it's what we thought that this uh, 
Arrow office was going to be. It didn't quite turn out to be that way. But, um, you know, baby steps. I mean, um, we're a lot further than we were uh, on the day that Alex and Dave had their encounter. I mean, we're much, much further ahead than that. So that makes me feel really good. I think um, I think we're in, we're headed in the right direction. And the fact you have the Soul Foundation, you have aviators there, you have uh, military guys, intel guys and gals, you had academia there. Um, what I mean, Galileo you couldn't really project. ask for What's at Galileo Project as well? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Um, Avi Loa, Professor Loa. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the conversations you had there uh, offline must have been pretty awesome. Yeah, I think, again, I'm, I'm curious and I look forward to um, learning more, kind of getting up to speed with with how we got here and then uh, seeing where this will evolve, uh, not just in the next year, but uh, in the coming years. Thank you for doing what you do. Uh, Money Nathan, Um if you could, uh, or do, is there somewhere that you'd like people to contact you? Is it just Twitter that tweeting at you more or less? I think that was for Alex, not for me. Sorry. That's for Alex. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It? yeah. Is there, is there, um, uh, just on Twitter is basically the one social media. Do you use to use another form of social media that you'd like people to be aware of? Uh, I have Twitter and, and then I have an Instagram. It's the same handle, uh, Dietrich VFA 41. And um, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> awesome. And your call sign, yeah. is it Cone? Is that your? Cone your with a backwards K. Yeah. With a backwards K. I love it. Cone. All right. Um, let's go with Cabby Goodbye, starting with Debs. Debs. Yep, I just want to um, reiterate that I have sent you a DM to help with some of that background information. So you're going to be good to go. You've got a lot of reading, but you'll have some fun things for that. So thank you for coming. Of course, if you ever need me for anything, feel free to reach out and I will continue to send you information as well. And thank you again for coming on CAB. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to uh, to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out to to be with us. I totally approve and appreciate your approach, uh, demanding more evidence and, and moving this forward, moving this conversation forward with actual information, more information, let less speculation. I think that benefits everyone. So I appreciate your advocacy in that regard and uh, wish you well in 2024. Thank you. Alex, thank you so much. Uh, so much regard and respect for you as a senior uh, officer, aviator, uh, and that you found a new way to serve, uh, as I put in uh, Twitter, as, as an educator. And that is something that uh, very, very near and dear to my heart is someone who chooses their form of service uh, to educate others uh, and be a mentor to you know, everything from kids to uh, folks that are at the academy. Um, or at the Naval Academy and in college. So thank you for continuing to serve. Uh, you're definitely a role model for people like myself. Namaste. Thank you. All right. On behalf of uh, Alex and uh, Debs and Money Nathan, this is DJ and Cab saying, peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road. We're always wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>